Well, I might invite everyone to start finding your way back to your seats. Can everyone hear me all right? Wonderful. Before we get into God's Word this morning, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us to be your people. We thank you that we can gather together again, that we can sing your praises, that we can sit under the teaching of your Word. We pray that today as we hear your Word, we'll hear your very words coming into our ears, down into our hearts. We pray that you might sow a seed there by your Spirit, that your Word won't come back to you empty, but will, in some way, grow us to be more like Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If anyone's wanting to follow along, our passage this morning is a, quite a short one from uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you're just tuning in at this point in our series, we've been looking through the letter of uh, 1 Peter, which is a letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to a number of churches in uh, what is now Turkey who were undergoing a period of persecution. And we've looked at all these little hints and bits where, where Peter refers to the persecution that shows that it was... Uh, it, it's, it appears to be a time where particularly not so much the church was being thrown to the lions or, uh, you know, to the gladiators or whatever it might be, but where uh, there was sort of a... Uh, the community had this real mistrust and dislike of the church and they were facing abuse and they were facing false accusations and they were facing just, you know, the people didn't like them because they were Christians, because they didn't go along with the things that their society around them did, uh, because they wouldn't throw themselves into the same flood of reckless living, as uh, Peter put it in the passage we looked at last week. And Peter started this letter at the very beginning by reminding us that first and foremost, Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our living hope. In him we have an unshakable inheritance. So Peter begins first and foremost with, you've put your trust in Jesus. In Jesus you are saved. In, by putting your trust in Jesus, you have your hope that no matter what happens, you know, even if, these, if this persecution gets worse and you are thrown to the lions, 
that won't be the end of the story. But instead you have a hope of an eternal inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. And having set that ground of this is your hope, this is what you have because you've put your faith in Jesus, the remainder of the letter thus far has been Peter saying, therefore this is how you should live. Not so that you can be saved, not so that you'll get to go to heaven, but because you have been saved and because you are going to heaven, live now as aliens and strangers in this world. Live as foreigners. Live as though this place is not your home. Now, you know, people who, who are uh, immigrants who come into another place, you know, they still have a home, they still live there, they still are involved in the community around them. But there is a sense in which they know that that the home in their heart is somewhere else. That the place that they look forward to being is somewhere far away. And that's what Peter is calling us to do, to live as though we, we live here, we enjoy here, we are involved in our community here, but our heart yearns for a home that is far away. And so the last few weeks we've been particularly looking at a number of things that Peter said along the lines of that being strangers and foreigners in the world and particularly along the lines of live good lives among the pagans so that they might see all the good that you do and give glory to God. Live so well among the people who persecute you that they feel bad about persecuting you because you keep being nice to them. Um, and if that doesn't work and if they keep persecuting you, well, you've still got Jesus. And Jesus will never let you down. But in this next passage, uh, like I said, most of the emphasis has been on how we relate to the world around us. But in this section we're looking at today, Peter turns his attention to, as aliens and strangers, this is how we should live among our family. And, and by that I mean the family that Jesus has called together, our brothers and sisters who have become our brothers and sisters because of what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. So this passage is all about our relationship with God and with other believers. And it's all about belonging, the place where we belong in this time where we are far from the home that we're looking forward to. And he begins this passage by saying, the end of all things is near. But is it though? I think sometimes for each and every one of us when we read these passages, we can have the kind of thought just, just in the back of our minds, that, well hang on, Peter said that the end of all things was near in about AD 50. And it's now AD 2021. So obviously wasn't that near. And sometimes we can feel like, well, did, did they expect it to come sooner than it actually did? Or uh, you know, is, well, if it's been 2,000 years, what's to say it's not going to be another 2,000 years? The end of all things is near. People thought it was the end times that the world was ending and Christ was coming back when uh, the when the Black Death swept across Europe, 
They thought it was the end of the world. They thought it was the end of times when uh, the, the uh, Turkish Islamic uh, forces, the Ottoman Empire, began to sweep through Turkey and into Europe. They thought it was the end of the world when uh, World War II and all of the destruction and all of the things that were happening there. It was the end of the world when the Cuban Missile Crisis came. And some of us might have heard of people, you know, with set ideas in mind of this, this particular instance, this is the end of all things is near. So sell all your money and give it, no, sell all your things and give me the money and somehow that will work out well for you. Um, when Peter talks about the end of all things is near, it's not that he's making a prediction of when Jesus is going to come back. He knew that Jesus had said that nobody knows the day or the hour. But when he says the end of all things is near, he's reminding us that we are in what is called the last times. Now, we don't know how long those last times will be, but we are between the time when Jesus came and lived on this life and then left and when he will return. And the end of all things is near is a reminder that we need to live our lives with an eternal perspective. That for some of us, eternity could come tomorrow. For some of us, it could be much longer. The end of all things is near. We're here for a moment. And even in God's economy, even a thousand years is just a moment. Heaven will be forever. Keeping in mind that this is just a moment and eternity is forever. Living with that eternal perspective, Peter says, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. How do we respond to the end of all things? Dig, dig a bunker in the backyard and fill it full of baked beans? Pray. Be alert and be sober-minded so that you can pray. There's... You know, sometimes people sort of have a reaction to prayer. Oh, thoughts and prayers, it's just what you say when you can't actually do anything to help. But it's been good to be reminded today, prayer is massive. Prayer is uh, when things are beyond our control. A reminder to ourselves and an act of trust to remember that they're not beyond God's control and to give them to God. And sometimes people can create this, this false uh, opposition between prayer and actually doing something to help. And we can do something to help and pray. And sometimes there's nothing we can do to help. But praying is absolutely doing something to help. We hand it over to God. Prayer is about recognising our limitations in a lot of ways about recognising what is beyond our control. That's not the only thing prayer is about, obviously, but that is, that is an important part of prayer, is it's where we humble ourselves before God and say, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
I can't do all of that, but I trust that you can. So being uh, alert and of sober mind, seeing the world around us with realistic eyes, seeing the world around us and remembering that this is only for a time, this is only for a season. And then when, the, when eternity breaks in, things will be very different. When we see the world with realistic eyes and when we remember that it's not where we belong, that this world is not our home, when we see all of the brokenness and all of the things wrong in it, we can bring them to God, bring them to the one that we do belong to. What should we pray about? What things should we bring to God as we put our trust in him? Peter tells us, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Pray about what? He doesn't give us the specifics. We pray about everything that we see. What should we pray for? You can pray for yourself. You can pray for the things that you need. Sometimes in some circles it's sort of been pushed that, you know, we shouldn't be selfish in our prayers and our prayers shouldn't be about ourselves. And if you are the only thing that you ever pray for, uh, I'd encourage you to branch out some more. But Jesus did give us the example that uh, in his prayer that he gave us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. He encouraged us to pray about the things that we need. Uh, I'm jumping ahead because this is uh, from from the passage next week. But it's one of my uh, favourite verses. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We have an invitation from God to take all of the things that are weighing us down and as Amy reminded us this morning, to give them to him. We can pray for God's kingdom. We can pray that his will will be done and his will will be done but it's not redundant for us to pray for it anyway. It lifts our eyes to the things that he is doing in this world. We can pray for forgiveness for sins. We can pray for his church, that good things will happen, that the gospel will go forth, that people will hear the good news and respond. We can join the, uh, the apostles in the early church in, uh, you know, in the, uh, Acts chapter 4 as they pray for boldness to go out and to continue to share the good news despite the opposition that they've faced. You can pray, and we've, we've uh, been encouraged to do it already this morning, and that's fantastic. We can pray for Afghanistan. I think one of the best reasons to actually watch the news, uh, which is not something I spend much of my time doing, but I think the best motivation for it would be so that you can pray about it. And look at all of the ways that our world is broken and lift them up before God and say, let your will be done. And you can pray for safety and um, protection for Christians in Afghanistan 
and in other places where they're troubled. We can pray for wisdom uh, for, the, for the government as they respond to uh, what's, ha- what's transpired in that country in recent days. And of course, that's not the only news story we can be praying for. We can be praying for New South Wales and all of the, uh, the things that they're facing with their lockdowns and all of the stuff over there. We can pray for... See, now this is the part where I probably should actually watch the news so I know some of the things that we should pray for. We could pray for Haiti with the terrible uh, earthquake and the, uh, yeah, just wisdom for, for the responders and the people that are helping those in need and God's presence with those who are struggling and who have lost everything and that God's people might be a light to the people of Haiti during this time. Uh, in, in amidst all of the suffering and the tragedy. And yeah, whatever it is, fill in the blanks. We can pray for all of these things. Not because we're going to bring heaven on earth and if we pray the right things that all of the problems in the world will be gone. But because it's our response to the brokenness in this world that we're in that we call on our Father and we, we say please help, please do your will in this situation that you might be glorified and that people might know you so that when the time comes to wipe away all the brokenness in this world, that they might be included in that number that are are able to live with him forever. So Peter has exhorted us to pray to spend our time praying in response to the brokenness and the trouble in this world and the recognition that there will be a new world coming. There will be a kingdom that we want all of the people that we love and all of the people that we find it hard to love to be in. And following that, Peter reminds us that we are not believers in a vacuum. We're not all off by ourselves. And the rest of this, this section is all about how the church that is persecuted, that is struggling through all this time, that how they should live as those who God has saved and shown his love to is by showing their love for one another and building up and supporting one another. Sometimes... Uh, Within churches, we can overemphasize my personal faith and my personal witness and Christianity could just be like something that I do all by myself as I go out and I I share the word with people around me. Uh, Sometimes, you know, we can go the other way. Sometimes within churches, we can underemphasize the need to actually respond to the world around us and witness. But we are called to be God's people together as a family. Not as, you know, 10 10 million sleeper agents all hidden in their own secret place in the world, but as families, communities of God that he has brought together all across this world. And so Peter exhorts us to love one another deeply, for love covers a multitude of sins. Now, is, is Peter offering a theological thought there? Love covers a multitude of sins. If you love people enough, you can get your own sins forgiven by God. Probably not. Uh, what Peter is actually doing here is alluding to the, the book of Proverbs. 
Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. And we can see with the full proverb that this is about our relationships with one another. That hatred, that disagreement, that arguments and strife and uh, all of these things stir up conflict and drive people apart. But love covers over all wrongs. Not in the sense that it makes it like they never happen in the way that Jesus' death covers our sins. But love covers all wrongs in that it takes away the sting of the ways that we've hurt one another and enables us to be a community who love one another. We are sinful and fallen people. Even though we've put our trust in Jesus, even though we seek to follow him, there will be times when we'll hurt each other. There'll be times when we disagree over things. And Peter encourages us to respond to disagreement and to conflict in love. It's never easy, but it makes such a huge difference when we can respond to being slighted in love. And we do that because that is what Jesus has done for us. When we were still his enemies, when we hated him, Christ died for us. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. Jesus' love covered a multitude of sins. There was nothing about us that made us particularly lovely that Jesus should go, I'm going to go and give my life for those people because they're so amazing that they, they just have to be saved. We were his enemies. We didn't want God. We didn't want him to be the ruler of our lives. We wanted to be the ruler of our lives. And it was in that context that he said, I want to give my life for them, that they might be forgiven, that they might have everlasting life. So when we choose to respond to conflict and to disagreement with love, the love that covers over all sorts of sins, uh, we're following the example of Jesus. We're doing what he has shown us. So that's one way that we love one another, that, that Peter exhorts us, uh, this church that has been facing all these problems with persecution in this time, cling to one another, build one another up, love one another. But what does that love look like? Peter shows us that love is shown in willing service. As he calls us to use all of our gifts to serve one another. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Use the gifts that God has given you, Peter says to serve one another, to love one another, to build one another up. That's what a community of love looks like. Love is shown in that willing service. It's not love if it's a begrudging and I suppose I have to service. Um, it's love when we do it because we want to serve one another in that way. 
Now, your question might be in response to that, okay, I'm supposed to use my gifts that God has given me to serve the church and to serve one another, but what are my gifts? What, what am I supposed to do? How, how, how am I supposed to put that into action? Well, Peter, he refers to two main types of gifts uh, in this section here. He kind of splits all of the, the gifts that people can have that God has given us into speaking, uh, which is kind of like your teaching, your upfront sort of roles, where, uh, where he encourages people. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very word of God. And that's talking about that using those gifts of speaking to the church in a way that is to exhort and to build them up. It's not every word you speak that you should speak as though it's the word of God. It's not, oh, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? Um, God decrees it's chicken schnitzel for dinner tonight. Uh, But the words that we speak within ministry, within building one another up, is to take that responsibility to speak as though every word we say is the word of God. That's terrifying in some respects, but it's a beautiful picture in others. It reminds me as I get up here and speak to you that this is not about me talking about my hobby horses, but this is about faithfully trying to bring out what is in God's word in a way that speaks into our lives and our situations. Now, you might think, I could never do anything up the front, any kind of speaking role. Um, Well, maybe that's not your gift, but maybe it is. I certainly, my my first few sermons, my knees were shaking the whole time. Um, So sometimes there can be a lot to be said for trying things. There are some of the gifts of God that, that he's given us that you might not know if you've got until you try them. How do you know if you have a spiritual gift of teaching unless you have a go at teaching? Or, you know, how, do, how can you know if you have a spiritual gift of... Uh, drawing a blank. Um, no, I'm not sure memory is a spiritual gift. If it is, it's certainly not one that I've received. <laughs> yes, there are spiritual gifts of serving, and that's the other category that Peter goes into. Um, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. And we see sort of a, a very similar picture to, to what happened in early in Acts when the, the church decided that uh, they were going to set apart the apostles to be preachers of God's word and so they were going to appoint some other people within, these, within the churches to be responsible for like, making sure the food was shared out properly and all the widows within the churches were cared for. And that, to be one of those people, the, the candidate list was like they had to be really godly, on-fire people who's, um, who were full of the Spirit because serving is a spiritual gift. Among other things, administration is lifted, listed as a spiritual gift. We see a number of different spiritual gifts. Some, some of the, the very dramatic things that people often think of with the spiritual gifts, the gift of tongues, 
uh, speaking in tongues, and some people will have that gift. But I, I think the Bible is quite clear in uh, setting our expectations that there's no one gift that everybody should have. But like the, uh, the body, the illustration of the body that Paul often uses, that we need all of the different parts of the body. We need all of the people with the different spiritual gifts working together. Your gift might be sharing in music. Your gift might be writing music. You might have a gift of prophecy um, that, that God can speak words through you. Uh, and we have an expectation that every, every word of prophecy is then tested against the scriptures, of course. You can have... Uh, there's spiritual gifts of encouragement. I know one or two in this church that I think probably have the spiritual gift of encouragement. Maybe they don't even know that themselves. So if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, one, the, I'd give you a couple of uh, just, just things to think through and a couple of places you could go to maybe look into it further. Uh, one, think about whether you are more of an upfront person or a behind-the-scenes person, although God does sometimes push us out of our comfort zone, so that's not the whole end of the story. The next thing I'd say is, Ask somebody else, because most of us are terrible judges of what we're good at and what we're bad at, but particularly terrible judges of what we're good at. I think sometimes like, modesty is a hugely important trait and something that every Christian could have, but sometimes we go a little bit too far in it in thinking, oh, everybody can do the things that I can do. And it takes somebody else to actually say, no, you're really good at that, and I, can't, I, I don't have that gift to the extent that you do. Um, so yeah, if you're not sure what your gift is, talk to somebody else about it. Uh, listen to their insight. Please feel free to come and talk to myself or any of the elders. Um, we can take you through all of the, the different passages with the spiritual gifts and talk about uh, what might be your strengths and weaknesses. And like I said, you might need to give some things a try. If you know, I'm, I'm more than happy for, for somebody to come up to me and say, I'd like to just have, a, have an opportunity to preach and see, you know, how that goes and to see if I have that gift. Uh, I want to have a go at writing a song to see if, if that's something that, that God can do through me. But the thing to think about with all of this is this picture that Peter gives us of this whole church offering hospitality to one another without grumbling and using whatever gift you have, not even spiritual gifts, but whatever gift you have, whatever you're good at, to serve one another. And we think about our church, are, are we all chipping in? Are we all using our gifts to serve and to encourage one another? And as I said, gifts don't need to be speaking in tongues or giving a sermon. It can be knowing how to fix the air conditioner. It can be sweeping away the leaves uh, to make the, the place nicer for people to come into. It can be a real gift for relating with people as you welcome them at the door and, uh, and help them to come in and then to feel at home. 
There's, there are plenty of ministries that our church is involved in. So it's good to think about, are we all chipping in somewhere in supporting the family of God? If not, uh, don't feel guilty. Guilt is a terrible motivator and, and nothing really good comes of being motivated by guilt. But just think about what could I do? Where could I find my place in, in encouraging and, and building up and serving in what the church is doing? And if, yes, you are serving in the role, it's good to reflect on, oh, am I speaking as though I'm taking the responsibility that every word is the word of God? Or if I'm serving, am I trying to do it all in my own strength? Or am I serving as though, as with the strength that God provides? Am I doing it cheerfully because of love for the church or because it has to be done? Because we never want to lose sight of the purpose of why we use these gifts and why we do these things. To be a family, to show love to one another, to be the community where we each belong. Which brings us to Peter's final point. We do all of this to bring glory to God. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. We pray, we we bring these things to God in prayer and we live these lives in the way that Peter has called us to do. Again, not to be saved but as those that Jesus has saved. We do all of this to bring glory to God. Now, if there was a person, let's say your boss at work said, you need to do all of your work really well and, and um, you know, I want all your reports in on time and everything done right so that I can get all the glory. We would, we would probably not be too impressed with that person. For a person to ask that is uh, selfish. But for God to call for that is only to recognise his place above his creation. That he is the creator of all that has been made. And everything was made for relationship with him. God calls us in love to live in the way that is best for us, the way that he created us to be. And when we do it, he is glorified. The Trinity shows that God is not vain. But we read in numerous places, some of which I probably should have put on our slides, about the way that the Father delights in glorifying the Son and the Son delights in glorifying the Father. And into this community of love for one another, that is the God that we worship, they've brought us into the love that the Son has for the Father, the love that the Father has for the Son, the love that the Spirit is in amongst all of them. We've been brought into that relationship to be heirs of the glory of God, For us to do things to bring glory to God is uh, somewhat like, although not exactly like, uh, parents raising their children in love. And when a parent raises their children with love, 
you know, when we raise them in love but with good boundaries and all of those things. And the child goes on to go and do good things and, and to live well. The parents delight in seeing that what the, way, the things that they've instilled in the child and the love that they've shown has done good things. And in the same way, that tends to reflect well on the parents, that they've shown love to their child in these good results that have come out for them. Now, I say that's an imperfect example because sometimes parents can worry too much about what people think of them by the way that their children behave. But in God, his love for us being reflected in recognition that he is a good God uh, is not a selfish thing, but a right recognition of the incredible depths of the love that he has shown us. We do all things not to please a gruff and hard-to-please tyrant, but a father who has delighted in us from the very beginning, who wants the best for us, and who wants us to enjoy him and his good gifts forever and ever. So let's pray. Father, we just pray that you might be glorified in our lives, in all that we do. We pray that you might help us to live lives that show love for one another, that we might use our gifts and the things that you've given us to build one another up. Please give us insight to be able to understand what gifts we have that you have given us and give us a great measure of love for one another that we might do all these things, so love for one another and hospitality without grumbling, but with delight. Because in all of it, we know that we are just following the example that you have set. That we are being like Jesus who loved us and who showed great mercy to us, even while we were still your enemies. Lord, we pray that you would help us to delight in living lives that bring you glory and show love to one another. Not because we think it's what we need to do to get into heaven, but as our way of saying thank you because you have saved us through Jesus that we might go to heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.